White Rocket Entertainment, podcast number 537. It's the White Rocket Babylon 5 Review Podcast. Reviewing the entire Babylon 5 series, plus Crusade and everything else. Now here are your hosts, Van Allen Plexico and Andy Fix. Hello and welcome to the White Rocket Babylon 5 Review Podcast. I'm Van Allen Plexico and I'm joined for this series by my co-host Andy Fix. Welcome back aboard, Andy. Thank you, sir. How are you doing today? Oh, very good. I'm excited. It's a it's a Tuesday night. We do these on Tuesday, and then they post on Monday so that it comes out at a regular time and um, gives me a little bit of time to kind of go and engineer it. So here we are on our regular Tuesday night to record our thoughts on our third. We're already, time just flies, doesn't it? We're already to our third installment, our third batch of episodes. I can't quite believe it. Yeah, it's going quick. Yeah, zipping right along. We're, I mean... We're, we're, we're coming up on, we're already past the one-third point, I think, after this episode, and we'll be coming up on the halfway point, because this will be the gathering, and then one, two, and then three, four, five, and we're going to do six, seven, and eight tonight. We're going to do Mind War and the War Prayer, yeah. which is an interesting one. I have some thoughts about that one. And then the Sky Full of Stars, which obviously is, I think, most people would consider it kind of a highlight of the first season. Is that fair to say? That is absolutely fair to say. Yeah. All right. So I think we're going to stick to our uh, our formula that we did on episode two, which is we have a set of questions we're going to ask ourselves and maybe each other about these episodes and discuss them and kind of give a summary and then kind of dig into them a little bit. And then at the end of each one, we will do a, uh, a, a rating, a, uh, a, an evaluation of how much we enjoyed them on a scale of one star to five stars, with half stars being perfectly permissible. So I just realized I don't have our list of our patrons up, so I'm going to go ahead and get that up so we can, when the time comes, we usually put that one between two and three episodes. So I guess without any... Well, do we have any further ado? I don't, I don't want to speak for you. Do we have any Babylon 5 comings and goings this week that we need to note? You know, I don't have anything to add to that. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just enjoying watching the, the, yeah. the, the season one shows again, man. I, I'm not paying attention to much of what's going on in Bab- Babylon 5 world outside of that. I hear you. I hear you. I guess the thing, a couple of things I want to note. One is we have kind of noticed that the, that HBO and I've been watching them on HBO even even though I own like 75 different copies of the whole series on different formats I've been watching them on HBO just because they have the remastered versions and I'm trying to watch to see you know how does it look different what did they really cuz apparently they did clean it up quite a bit it's brighter and especially the special effects shots so I'm enjoying yeah. kind of seeing the remasters um, but we did notice that HBO has them in a very peculiar order and it's you know Babylon 5 in particular has a history of like, there's the order they were produced in, there's the order they aired in, and there's like these recommended viewing orders that Straczynski came up with or other people have come up with. You can Google like Babylon 5 viewing order and get 50 different, you know, orders. HBO has come up with an order that's not any of them. (laughs) It's just completely, (laughs) like they just made some stuff up. And so just for the listeners to understand Andy and I have discussed it, and I think we've pretty much decided to go by that standard original airing order that is what you'd find like on Wikipedia or the Lurker's Guide, where it's 
you know, where the um, they they basically are what what the, how they originally aired and what you would kind of expect. So uh, they're we're not going to go in the HBO order, uh, but it only is going to affect like two or three episodes in season one. And, and I haven't even looked beyond that. Honestly, I don't even know if they change anything beyond that. But um, but we will obviously let, you know, it'll be in the show title. You will know which episodes we're talking about before you ever uh, start listening. So should not be a problem. And you know what we should do, Van, is we should uh, list what three episodes we're going to do the next episode yeah. so people can can know know which ones to watch. Yeah, we've actually been doing that, and I think that now we have a good reason to do it <laughs> we, instead of just yeah. doing it, you know. So, yeah, that's that's perfectly good, perfectly good idea. Okay, well, let's go ahead then and jump on into 106, one being the season, six being the episode number, 106, Mind War, and... This is um, this is a very interesting episode because it opens up an entire area of the B5 universe that only had been hinted at up until now, right? I mean, up until this point, the telepaths sat at a bargaining table and, and, and served to like be referees in a transaction. We didn't really know much of anything about the Psycops and there being much more powerful telepaths out there until now and so and it has a very particular guest star of note so um let me see uh i guess i can do the quick recap on this one so um a a guy named jason ironheart shows up on babylon 5 and he's on the run from the psychor because as it turns out they've been experimenting on him and he's developed really amazing uh telekinetic as well as telepathic powers. He can move things. And he is an old boyfriend of our dear Talia Winters. And so when the cops show up chasing him, it's the Psychor cops, and it is Walter Koenig from, you know, Mr. Chekhov from Star Trek. And and it's interesting, by the way, that we're going to talk about Mind War and and the Sky Full of Stars because those are the two episodes that, that Walter Koenig is associated with, you know, he was supposed to, he was originally invited to play night two in, in the sky full of stars, but he had a heart attack and wasn't able to be in that episode, but it worked out better from for him because we never, you know, that guy was a, and I think it's, I think it's pretty clear from the end of the episode, that guy's a one-off. Whereas Bester becomes a, you know, fair to say an, <clears throat> an important character going forward. So absolutely. Yeah. So it worked out well for Walter Koenig and for we, the viewers, because I really enjoy his performance in that role. It's neat to see Chekhov in a villain role. And I mean, I think he absolutely nails it. Don't you? He comes across as just eerily sinister. I mean, just, just the look on his face when he walks in for the very first time, you know that he's just going to be a a scumbag that you're going to hate. Oh yeah. In fact, when I watched in the sky full of stars this time, I kept trying, you know, we're going to talk about it in a few minutes, obviously, but, the guy that played Night Two was very like Shakespearean dramatic. Well, Commander Sinclair, you'll see now. You know he's like that, and I yeah. kept and I kept thinking Walter Koenig in that role. I could totally hear him saying the same lines, but in a completely different way and with a completely different effect. Right. Much more understated. Yeah. You know, he'd have been like. Well, Commander Sinclair, <laughs> but it would have been just as creepy, like you said. I mean, he's so understated and sly, you know. But, right. Um, 
Uh, you know, I, 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 per, I actually prefer him as Bester. I yeah. see exactly what you're saying, but I don't think he, I, I don't think he would have pulled that role off as well as, as uh, the, the other gentleman did. Yeah. Yeah, it's a different kind of character, and I think he's much better suited to the sl- sneaky, shadowy, psychor psychop. I think it really was a fortuitous turn of events that he ended up in that role. But it really was a fortuitous turn of events. It wasn't really planned. You know, it kind of worked out that yeah. way. So. 100% agree. Yeah. Um, let me see. I actually have a couple of things that are out of place here and that's why I'm getting confused. I've got a, Oh, I'm, you know, I got a quote that's out of place. Let me just move it. But, um, okay. So what we've been starting out with is like high point and low point of the episode. And I'm going to move something down here. I realize this is not great radio, but here we are. Um, okay. So what do you have for the high point of mind war, assuming that I some I did I did I summarize it well enough? I guess I did, right? That yeah, you, yeah, a, you covered it. You didn't you didn't cover the B story though. The B story oh, was uh, yeah. equally as powerful as the A story. I thought. What tell us about the B story? The B story is uh, Commander Sinclair's girlfriend is uh, doing some work for one of the Earth Corps, mm-hmm. and they have sent her off to a, a planet for her to investigate. And uh, the only thing is, this planet is in uh, Narn territory. So she has to get uh, Jakar's permission or his support to go there, and he warns her off. She goes anyway. She goes over his head and runs into uh, trouble. Um, yeah. Jakar then rescues her. He, you know, he, he comes across as being kind of the, the jerk, you know, that he's trying to harm mm-hmm. her or stop her from doing it and it turns out that in the end he ends up being her rescuer which is which was a, a, a neat turn of events but um we'll get to we'll, we'll get to the more of the specifics later as we talk yeah i, I the, the, yeah the walkers at sigma 957 that's just such a i just love that concept and that term um and I always look. I'm, I was so cool to see uh, Catherine Sakai back again. It's like yeah. I, I had forgotten that she turns around and reappears so quickly. I know she's, you know, we do see her on and off, and um, but I'd forgotten that she's right back, and they're they're back to having a big relationship. So that's again, I've watched the show a million times, but I always forget how much of her we get and how early she reappears and their their relationship gets going. So. That was that was pretty cool. I'm because I, I'm a big fan, and then um, yep. So that was the B. Yeah, that was the B B plot. And you know, it's funny. Yeah. I always I always kind of forget that that one even exists in this episode because the mind war stuff with the telepaths is so big and important and 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 vivid. It kind of overshadows um, right. the other stuff that's going on. But yeah, that is an important thing too. I'm glad you mentioned that. Right. So, uh, okay. and, and I yeah. think this B story could, could have been an A story in its own if it, if it weren't in the, the same story as the, uh, the mind war. So yeah, there are, uh, it, cause it, they deliver some really uh, powerful information in the B story. I mean, they dump a lot on you. This is true. There are episodes later that I won't spoil obviously, but there are episodes later where the B story here is, fairly similar in structure and everything. And this would have, yeah, this could have fit as one of those for sure. Yeah. yeah. Not, not every a story is like this one, you know, or, you know, or, or, uh, or a few of the others that we've seen already. There are some a stories that are about what the Catherine Sakai to Sigma nine five seven is. So um, yeah, it's, it's, that's absolutely true. Okay. So what was your high point of mind war? 
the high point for me was the introduction of the the Psycor, uh, very specifically the Black Omegas, the the Star Furies mm. at the very beginning. I love the Star Fury. That's probably my second or third most favorite sci-fi ship of all time. And that black, sinister-looking paint scheme with the the Omega, the the white Omega symbol on it, it was just very, uh, very striking and very uh, visually arresting to see them out there i mean it was really cool and it introduced and it was the perfect psychor ship you know because they're psychor fighters and it was the perfect um representation of psychor itself because they are just as sinister and just as nasty and and, and lethal looking as, as psychor turns out to be so but i i think the introduction of psychor in general was extremely important and really well done because they have you know they have an impact that goes all throughout the entire series. I mean, down down through you know season five and beyond. So um, I, that was definitely the high point for me. Uh, and uh, Walter Koenig handled Bester perfectly. Mm-hmm. I, I couldn't imagine a better actor for that role. And that was you know it's it's going to be sacrilegious, but I think that's his best role I've ever seen him play. I thought that <laughs> oh, was I agree. really. I thought that was so cool. So yeah, that was the high point for me. Yeah, I think that there's a lot of potential high points, and you certainly named some right there for sure. By the way, I've always wondered, why did the Psycor Star Furies have an Omega instead of a Psy on them? If they're going to put a Greek letter on there. Well, the Omega is just a really cool symbol. It's it's visually cool, I guess. It's true. It's true, yeah. Psy would just be like the little tree-looking thing, little Y-looking thing, and it wouldn't be very exciting. That's fair enough, I guess. Okay, well, they're going to put some Greek letter on there. It's like a fraternity runs this squadron. I don't know. they got Greek letters on them and stuff. You you realize I'm going to have to research this now, why they have the Omega on there. (laughs) Well, I mean, it's called Black Omega Squadron. I know that. Right. But I'm just like, why Black Omega? Why not Black Psy or something? I just... Right. I don't know what Omega has to do with telepaths, whereas Psy, obviously, psionics. I, I get that. I get the Psy. I just don't get the Omega, but that's fine. Because right. I, I know some <laughs> listeners going, well, it's on there because it's called Black Omega. Well, I know, but why is it called Black <laughs> Omega, right? That's what I want to know. All right. Um, you know, I, like you said, there's so many things that we could say that are the high point, and there are a lot of high points this episode, and I totally agree. So I'm going to go, I'm going to zag instead of zigging, and I'm actually going to point out, because I actually noticed it this time very specifically, Christopher Frankie's musical score, they're always good, but he did one for this episode that really stands out to me. He did a lot of funky synthesizer stuff with this one to kind of conf- convey that mental power, you know. Um, Agreed. There's, there's several moments in this in this score that it really says mind war. It's not like generic episode of Battle on Five that could fit in any episode. There are moments in this episode's score that only are in this episode. There's like the, you know, that part, which I'll I'll probably put in the real thing, but um, (laughs) that's, uh, you know, that's only in this episode. You don't hear things like that in other episodes. And it's in, um, it's in either, I forget which one it is. I've, you know, there's the two, there's the two Babylon five CDs that Frankie put out um, before he started putting out individual episodes. He eventually put out like lots of episode scores by themselves, but he put out those two. It was called Babylon 5 and Babylon 5 Volume 2 Messages from Earth. And I think I think the first one has Mind War on it, like almost the entirety of it, or at least like a, 
like a 15 minute suite, you know, made of the high points of this score. So if y'all can get a hand, uh, you know, I've got it and I know you've got it. Um, but yeah. if folks listening, if you uh, get your hands on that CD, it is well worth it because it's got some great, great Christopher Frankie music. So what was your low point of this episode? Uh, you know, I looked for one, but this, this is one of my favorite episodes. So I looked for a low point and I just could not find any. I mean, it was wow. solid from top to bottom. All right. Well, mine, once again, are nitpicky, but that's just how it's going to be because there's nothing really egregious. We, we, you know, I think we can agree there are, there are a couple of episodes in season one that we haven't gotten to yet that have some low points to them. And they're not nitpicky. They're just kind of like, even JMS is like, yeah. We, we thought Infection was going to be that way, but you and I both ended up really liking it, which was cool. I thought that was great that we ended up really liking yeah. that one more. But I think there's still a couple to go. Now, um, I have three little tiny nitpicky points, and I can't decide among them, so I'll throw them out to you and see what you think. You might want to dismiss them all, or you might agree. One of them, and this is in chronological order, First, it's when Talia is talking to the commander and Bester and uh, what's her name? The other Psycop. What's her name? Courtney or it's something like that. I, I forget entirely. Yeah, I don't remember her name. Um, doesn't doesn't end up mattering, unfortunately, except to her next of kin, bless her heart. But uh, <laughs> she gets disintegrated. Um, but, um, well, Bester and the other cop are circling Talia like they're doing some kind of a voodoo dance thing. And I'm just like, no, I, I mean, I get what they're trying to do, but it really doesn't work for me. Them walking around her, gesturing at her with their foreheads and stuff and their hands as they're orbiting her. And I'm just, oh, I, it just took me right out of the episode. So that was one. Oh, I said they looked like a couple of angry mimes. <laughs> See, and I really dug that. You know, okay. I thought that was very theatrical, and, and I, I thought it was really cool. Good. All right, well, there you go. All right, my number two is when there's like an explosion, and Sinclair says, "Talia, look out!" and pushes her out of the way, and then like this fake metal piece like bounces down on the floor where they were standing, and. <laughs> You know, this is again, this is just the show is made for a buck seventy five an episode. We know that. And there's just gonna be a few places where the seams kind of show in it. So ah again, it's a nitpick. And then my last yeah. one, my last one is we get some CGI of Jason Ironheart at the end out in space, and it looks like the the bad Fantastic Four movie by Roger Corman. Or uh <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, Last Starfighter or something. It's uh it's, eh, I just am like, stick to the Vorlon ships and the space station and all this. Let's, <laughs> let's don't try to make floating godlike beings in space because it looks really CGI. It looks, it does not look, uh, it doesn't look like hey, what, what we want it to look like, I think. I loved that part. I that part was so cool. It was very Starlin-esque. I know, I know yeah. you know what I'm talking about when yeah, I say I that. I thought it was super cool. I mean, yeah, it was cheesy 90s CGI, but it, it was just a powerful scene and I yeah. I was swept up in it. I I thought it was I thought it was well done. Fair enough. There we go. I, I said you could you could you could shoot them down and I'll totally accept it and I totally do. Okay. You know, um, I think it's I think it's totally cool that we're coming at this from totally opposite sides. <laughs> That's cool. No, I like it. And yeah, you you can always reel me in by saying something is Starlin esque. I'll be like, ah, well put my put my objections aside then, Your Honor, because that'll work. <laughs> 
Um, <laughs> all right. I guess I'll go first this time. Most Babylon 5 scene, for me, again, I, I, I well, I don't want to keep cheating. I, this is too... This is two things, but it's really the same thing spread out over the episode. For me, the most Babylon 5 scene was Jakar and Catherine Sakai talking. I got a little bit from the first part and a little bit from the end. Um, yep. when, he, when he says, no one here is exactly what he appears, that's so Babylon 5, right? I mean, that is the core that is the core of Babylon 5, is that everybody is there pretending to be like a peace delegate, an ambassador, and they're all something else. You know, even He says even Sinclair, which I think is cool, that, that even, you know, yeah. that Jakar recognizes that it's not just him and, and Delenn, you know, and, and Londo or whatever. Even Sinclair is not what he appears, which I think is cool. And then at the, uh, at the end, when Jakar tells her about the ants... And the you yep. know the walkers and whatever they are, they walk alone at Sigma nine five seven, and it shows the little ant crawling on the flower as it fades out. I thought that's a th- th- those two conversations to me really get at the core of what this show is about. So those are mine. What are your what is your most Babylon five scene or scenes? I, I, that is exactly what I was going to say because it mm. that is Jakar explicitly stating one of the core themes of of the entire series right there. Mm. You know when he says that. Uh, no one here is exactly what he appears. That is, that is what, like you said, what Babylon Five is all about, and it's unfolding and learning what you know how people are different from our initial expectations of them. I thought that was uh, that was really cool. In the ant, uh, the ant scene, the dialogue there was really sharp. I really enjoyed that too. So yeah, mm-hmm. I, that was that. Both those scenes are it, it's laying flat out. Hey, this is what the show's about. Yeah, and, and I love that Catherine kind of learned a lesson in the middle of all that, too, because she was so dismissive of Jakar and looking for bad motives. And, you know, we're all conditioned up to this point to think of Jakar as, you know, yeah, we have seen him in a good light a couple of times by this point, particularly Parliament of Dreams, but we're still conditioned to think of him as the ruthless, angry, shouty, bad guy alien to a certain degree. And so Catherine thinks of him that way, and she doesn't want to believe that he's up to anything good, you know. And then when it turns out that not only was he telling the truth, but he even saves her life, she kind of has to take a step back and reevaluate everything, you know, that, hey, maybe uh, maybe I was a little too hard on him, and maybe he's not such a bad guy. And I think that's what the audience does, is say, hey, you know, maybe Jakar is not quite such a bad guy after all. And that's interesting how we're already seeing the depths of these characters emerge just six episodes in. It's really remarkable. It, right. It, it, she, it, she, Catherine is very clearly meant to be the, the audience representation mm-hmm. there. She, what she learns and what she goes through is exactly what uh, the, the producers want the audience to go through there. No, oh, 100%. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, we are to favorite character moment from, the, from Mind War. What is your favorite character moment? I have two favorite moments. I couldn't decide which one. They both involve mm-hmm. Mr. Garibaldi. Oh, the okay. first one was when when he was in the elevator, and uh, um, uh, uh, I forget her name. The the uh, um, the Psy lady walks in. What is, what is the blonde lady's name again? Oh, Talia. Talia, you you have to forgive my my <laughs> lapses in memory like that. I'm 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 old and I have a four year old, so my my brain matters <laughs> a, a little wasted. Yes, Talia walks into the elevator with with her client and uh, Garibaldi standing behind her, and and uh, she's. 
reading, she's picking up what he's thinking about her, and she just gives him a, a hard elbow into the gut. That made me laugh because that was a perfect moment for oh. for uh, Garibaldi. And what's even funnier is that those two actors are married at that point. So mm-hmm. uh, that was kind of funny. And the other one also involves Garibaldi is when he's talking with Bester right there at the end, where Bester mentions something as he's leaving. And Garibaldi doesn't say anything, but Bester turns around and says, anatomically impossible, Mr. Garibaldi, but you're welcome to try. So Anytime. I got a kick out of that. Anytime. Yeah, because that's in my funniest moment. That's that's my funniest moment. So I'll go ahead and say that one right now. Yeah, is that I said this is Garibaldi and Bester round one, uh, where he says, but you're welcome to try. Anytime. <laughs> right. That is really and good. You know, the, the delivery of that line, the, the way that line is written and delivered, it starts out as a punchline to the joke, but it turns into a, a threat, a, yes. you know, a, 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 another sinister moment for, for uh, Bester. It was awesome. Yeah, and it sets up that Bester clearly and Garibaldi don't like each other, so that's, that's interesting. Um, I don't think anybody likes Bester, but particularly, <laughs> uh, I guess Ivanova doesn't either, but particularly uh, Garibaldi. I, yeah. you know, favorite character moment, I kind of wrestle with this. That's definitely. I think that the the elevator one is definitely a good one, and I I didn't think about that at the time. But you're absolutely right that the the added fact that they are that they are married at one point just kind of makes that even better. Um, and it parallels a scene much later in the series with two other characters in similar roles. So that'll be very interesting. When we come back if we remember to mention that much later on. There's a there's a scene very similar to that later on with two completely different yep. characters. But it's really funny. Um, I I had. That that I think this is the first time we see the command staff of the station being willing to stand up against a high-ranking official from Earth. You know, that's yep. that's kind of a recurring theme is that Sinclair finds a way to not do what the darker forces back on Earth want him to do. It's no secret that Earth Force is not the you know we've we we you know we've I'm trying to think what we've already talked about that's not a spoiler going forward. We've talked about how. You know, like um, in uh, in infection, interplanetary expeditions was was part of the Earth Gov or working with them on weapons and stuff. And you know, I was saying that that guy, you know, the the guy that was arrested is probably going to go free as soon as he gets off the shuttle. And this is another one of those cases where you can see that Earth Gov has its own priorities, and they don't always match up to what Sinclair or the rest of the command staff thinks is a good, proper way to behave. And, yeah. and, and that seems like an ongoing up. thing with Sinclair, too. He, yes. he always finds a way mm-hmm. to, to, if not necessarily win, to at least come out a little bit on top um, without resorting to you know violence all the time and, and uh, negative stuff like that. Right. He finds a clever way. I, you know, I wonder if at some point EarthGov is going to get fed up with that. Huh. I wonder if that's ever going to happen. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see, won't we? We will see. Right, I, also, right. I also did have a note um, that I thought that Talia, Talia and Catherine both owned this episode. This was a Talia and Catherine episode, and I was glad they both got a lot of good moments in it. I was yep. just thinking, I wish that the interior of Catherine's spaceship didn't look like she's sitting at a desk in a small office cubicle. <laughs> that was the thing. If she'd been in like a cockpit, like, you know, strapped down in a contour seat and we were tighter on her, that would have been so much better. But it just seemed like she was just sitting in a classroom at a desk. Yeah. And I, uh, very much like the, the midnight on the firing line when, um, when Londo's nephew or whoever was sitting there at that 
command center, and it looked like a card table with a radio on it. So it looked like something out of Plan 9 from Outer Space, unfortunately. So I, I say all this with love. I want the show to be the best it can be, and when it does stuff that really kind of bugs me, that's what I'm referring to. I'm not making fun. I'm, I'm saying, man, I wish they could have just found another extra dollar in the budget and done a little you know, different from that, but that's fine. Um, okay, so I already said my funniest moment was was the one that you mentioned about Mr. Garibaldi. You're welcome to try any time, anatomically impossible. What was your funniest moment? Uh, it's going to have to be the same too. The, the both those moments were were pretty rich for yeah. humor. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the thing that's neat about Bester. I think is that he's so sinister and such an evil villain, and yet we get comedy moments, even if they're dark comedy, right? Scary comedy. Yeah. He, it's just it's a tribute to Walter Koenig that he can play whimsically humorous and horrifyingly evil in the same breath. <laughs> right. That's pretty amazing. You know, come to think of it, it. Like, yep, that's why I say it's my favorite role of his. He, he, I think, he knocks it out of the park. I think he's underrated in this. I really do. I think that people will always think of him as Chekhov, which really didn't yep. ask for much of him, right? He did a fake Russian accent and tried to be cute. <laughs> right. He was, you know, he was Davy Jones in outer space. That was exactly what he right. was. They've admitted it. This this role, though, he's just thought of as, oh, the time that Chekhov had to be evil. But I think there's way more to it than that. And I yeah. think he's. I saw an interview with him on, uh, you know, on YouTube. You can find where like the um, the Institute of Television History or whatever it's called interviews different actors about their roles. And there's some really good stuff on there. You know, there's a long thing where they sit down with Joe Straczynski and talk about Babylon 5 and other stuff. But they have one where they talk to Walter Koenig about his different parts, and they talk to him about Bester, and he says, oh, it was a gift. You know, it's like this was getting a chance to do things I'd never really done before. And he was talk- he talks about how grateful he was to Joe Straczynski for giving him a role like this that would call on different skills than he normally got to use. And that's pretty cool, I think. I agree. So- so, we are to random factoids or notes that you have. Let me run through a few. We'll see if you have anything you want to share. I did say it's a very Talia-centric episode. Um, we talked about how Walter Koenig already was supposed to play Night 2 in a Sky Full of Stars, but he had a heart attack. Worked out pretty well. Um, it is... I, I, You know, we were talking about, about Jakar helping Catherine, and it was kind of altruistic in a way... But Catherine kind of owed a big, <clears throat> big favor to Jakar after this, so it it would be kind of interesting to look at, look as we go along and see if anything ever comes of that, because there could come a moment theoretically where, you know, where Catherine Sakai has to pay him back. So that's something to kind of mm-hmm. keep in mind. Um, I thought it was interesting that the two female characters in this episode, Talia and Catherine, are are clearly setting up things for the future because at the end of the episode, Talia is developing telekinesis, the gift from, uh, from Jason and Catherine is showing that she really doesn't care who tells her no, when she wants to go out into the dark corners of the galaxy. So that could lead somewhere. I would like to make a note. I'd like to put this on the record, uh, Andy, that <laughs> we need to revisit this at the end of the season, maybe, and see if that's if that's yes. played out at all. Because we, we need you're, to you're, circle back. Your your tap dance skills are impressive, by the way. <laughs> I'm trying really hard. I really am. <laughs> um, 
you know, because I mean, when things obviously, I think most people that haven't even watched the show know that this this the show is going to get more and more intense and bigger and bigger events as it goes along, and so it just kind of makes you wonder what is this leading up to in season three, in season four, in season five? You know, what is this all leading up to, if anything, right. if anything, right? So we'll circle back right. around. We'll circle back right. around to that. Um, Meanwhile, we'll we'll give hints like a, a mafia lawyer or something. <laughs> it's exactly. Um, oh, Ironheart says he will see Sinclair again in a million years. And all I want to say there is file that number away because you may hear a million years again, you know, at some point. That's a significant time frame in the Babylon 5 universe. Yeah. Uh, did you have any fact, random factoids or notes you want to throw out there? The only thing that jumped out at me was the name of uh, Walter Koenig's character, Alfred oh, Bester. Yes. Named after the uh, the classic uh, science fiction author from the mm. golden age of science fiction. Yeah. I thought that was a, a nice nod. I don't know if that was uh, JMS or if that was um, Harlan Ellison that, that tossed that one out there, but I thought that hmm. was very nice. Yeah. It could have been. You're right. Or it could have been Dottilio even. But yeah, you're right. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's true. It's, uh, he wrote The Demolished Man and um, Stars My Destination are the two most famous books that he wrote. I read one of them, and I was like, it's okay. <laughs> I think I read Stars My Destination, and I wasn't blown away. But I guess back in the day, you know. Right. They were very golden age, for sure. Yeah. All right. Well, the notable guest stars, we already said Walter Koenig as uh, Bester, who's awesome. Julian Nixon is back as she's almost like a... Um, she's almost a secondary character as opposed to a guest star this season. The actor yeah. who played Jason Ironheart, I forgot his name. I had it on here and I don't know what I did with it. Oh, oh, and the other lady was named Kelsey. The other psychop was Kelsey. Yeah. So those are the main guest stars. You actually had four of them this time of, of any note, not to mention the, there was, there was the, um, no, that's a different episode. My bad. Okay. So, episode rating. How did you rate this episode? I'm always excited to hear this. This is always interesting to me. I, I mentioned earlier as one of my favorite episodes. I think it introduced a whole lot of stuff for the future, setting up a whole lot for the future. And I mm -hmm. thought that all the actors were absolutely perfect in it. I thought the CGI was, I mean, the effects were very basic, but it didn't need a whole lot of effects. I, I really enjoyed the... Uh, when uh, Ironside threw up the uh, um, Ironheart threw up the uh, the force field around his sector. Yes, that um, was the, cool. The, the wavy look. I, I thought that was really basic, simple CGI, but it was really effective. It I was. give this one a five star rating. Wow! Holy cow! Yeah, I I I love the the Psycor and I love the way they were introduced, and I I thought this was really strong. Well, that would make sense then, yeah, because this is a big Psycor episode and the first really big Psycor episode. So I get it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I agree with you. I love though. I love the 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 deceptive simplicity of the of the force field he put up. It was just crackling and had waves running through it and distortion. So it wasn't like a big glowing orange thing or anything. It just it was very effective. Yeah, I like that. I did like that a lot. Um, I gave this one a three point five. But remember. I'm basing all these on what I know is coming in the future. So 3.5 is pretty strong for me, considering I'm not a big Psychor fan. I'm not. I like Bester, but... The other thing is, I tempered this one just because... And this is our biggest difference, by the way, we've had in any, rep, any rating. 
Um, yeah. The other thing is, I'm not going to mention anything specific other than just to say that it's it's a little disappointing. I won't say specifics, but some of the things that are set up in this episode, for one reason or another, mainly because of television, you know, and and years, don't get to play out the way we might have wanted. And so right. it this one you can't fault this episode for where it wanted to go, but in retrospect, there's parts of it that I'm disappointed in later. Not all of it. Some of the things play out, some of the things don't. So that takes it to a 3.5 for me, but that's still very strong, and I do think it's a really good episode with a great soundtrack, too. So, All right. Um, you ready to move on to the war prayer? I'm all set. Well, i got to tell you, the war prayer, you know, I can look at the title of probably 95% at least of Babylon 5 episodes and tell you at least the A plot, if not the A and the B plots. That's how, you know, many times I've watched them and read the episode guides and the unofficial guides and all that, right? I feel pretty confident you can show me a Babylon 5 episode title and I can tell you what goes on in it. Every single time I watch the war prayer, I'm like, oh, that's what that episode is. (laughs) I never have any memory at all of this episode. I'm like... Honestly, I'm I'm always like I can think of like four maybe B plots from this season and I'm like maybe one of those is in this episode <laughs> but I can't be sure. It's this is just like a there's nothing particularly bad in this episode. There's just nothing particularly great. It's just a very unmemorable kind of dare I say gray episode. It just kind of is uh to me, it's just kind of a, eh, you know, it is. It's just a, it's like the most average. It's not great. It's not terrible. Um, how do you feel about that kind of over, I'll do the, I'll do the, this, or you can do the synopsis if you want to, and then tell us kind of how you, how you register it, if I'm wrong or right. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't disagree. I thought it was kind of a filler episode. Um, mm. I did study Mark Twain in high school. I, I, I studied a lot of literature in high school, so I got the reference right away. Um, but, uh, you know, it introduces some important information and some important elements to the story, but it's nothing spectacular. It's, it's just kind of, eh, it's not bad, but it's like you said, it's just not memorable. It doesn't, it doesn't, (sighs) nothing in here really, you know, sticks in your brain. Like, wow, that was something else. Honest to goodness. I watched it like four days ago and I remember part of the story, the Shalmayan part, I think. I just looked uh-huh. down and saw in my notes, Malcolm tells Susan something, and I'm like, oh, this is the Scorpio Shows Up episode. I'd forgotten <laughs> it again. <laughs> I'd already forgotten he was in it. God, he is so unmemorable. It's so funny, too, because that guy, I can't remember his name. I never did. I don't look up every actor's name. I'm sorry. But he was in General Hospital, right? He's yeah. we, We've established that this show uses a lot of soap opera actors because they're available. They're in L.A., and they're looking for work, you know, and they're available. And so he was a secret. He was like basically James Bond for a couple of years on General Hospital. Tristan Rogers, of course, I know his name. And and um, he plays this part, and it's just like, you know, for two-thirds of the episode, he's this smarmy kind of, oh, Susan, we used to be lovers. Ha, ha, ha. Let's get back <laughs> together, baby. And then all of a sudden you find out, oh, he's a horrible, horrible racist, basically. Alien racist, you know. And then you're like, ugh. So, yeah, he kind of goes from bland but annoying to horrifying and annoying. <laughs> and and right. I just kind of just 
just missed him right out of my head. So, and and in the in the the meantime, he's wearing that Cliff Huxtable sweat sweater that just. <laughs> um, the other plot in this one, okay, so it's the that's the B plot, I guess. Is Susan's old boyfriend shows up and turns out to be a horrible. Uh, pro-Earth, anti-alien, racist kind of guy. That's terrible. The other plot is the Chalmayon, right? The the or is that the, which is the A and which is the B? I don't even know. Where I the, think that's one of the problems with this episode. Is there's yeah. two B plots. <laughs> it is. It is definitely two B or C plots, and and no A at all. That's exactly it. It's why it's so unmemorable. Yeah, and right. she's a she's a poet or some kind of some kind of touchy feely Minbari, you know. <laughs> um, and she she does performance art of some kind, and then um, she's attacked by more of these home guard jerks like Tristan Rogers' character Malcolm is. So the main I think the main takeaway we're supposed to get from this episode for the larger story, and correct me if I'm wrong, I feel like the main takeaway we get from this is that Earth is getting very xenophobic. And, you know, certainly the Earth-Mimbari War couldn't have done anything but make that worse when you're almost wiped out by aliens, you know, and you kind of luck out at the last minute. And nobody even understands how you're not all dead, which we're going to address in the next episode, uh, the, the actually really good one. Um, and so I think we're just supposed to take from that that Earth is being becoming very xenophobic and the government is not that upset about that. Right. The, the current uh, political... Uh, undertones of of this show really resonate with today's politics, which I thought was yeah. really fascinating. I, I I didn't remember that going into this, and then watching that, I, I just a couple times my jaw just dropped. I'm like, holy mm. crap, this is what we're living right now. It's going to continue. You know, you make a very good point because we talk about shows that are old, and this show, let's be honest, this show is getting pretty old. You know, it's filmed in the early mid '90s, so. Um, it's going on 30. Oh, my gosh. Can you believe that? It's going on 30 you know, this, years old. Yeah, this show is older to me now than Star Trek, the original Star Trek was to me when I first started watching that yeah. in reruns. Yeah, wow. Well, it's been that way for me for a long time because <laughs> I saw <laughs> right. it in the early 70s. But, yeah, I hear you. Right. But, um, but, no, but we talk about shows and how they age well, meaning they hold up and they're not bad later. Honestly, there are parts of Babylon 5 that are better now than when it first aired, and that is yep. unbelievable. It's like a fine wine. Oh, my gosh. It is, yeah. Because when it aired originally, you're watching it going, well, yeah, I guess in 200 years something like this could happen. <laughs> but, you know, you watch it now and go, oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> right? So, uh, yeah, interesting, interesting, interesting. Um I did have a note here. The main plot is dull, the subplots are dull, and the guest stars are boring. Well, I think we've already made that point. I don't want to beat the dead, beat the dead poet society. Um, all right, let's do the high point. What is your high point of this episode? The high point for me was uh, Lando Molari. He he usually ends up stealing whatever scene he's in, but the scene when he's talking to Veer about his his three wives, pestilence. Uh famine and death was was hilarious and then later when he talks about the uh my shoes are too tight and i've forgotten how to dance that part was actually sad so yeah lando shows again how how deep of a character he actually is oh gosh there's our other b plot there's three b plots in this episode i, I can't even remember God, i forgot about the two key <laughs> the two teenagers wow yeah. this episode has is Three B and C plots in search of an A plot. It's it's like the catch-all. 
It's like JMS plotted out the season and he had three kind of secondary plots left over. And he's like, ah, I'll just put them all together as one episode. Right. Wow. In this, in this episode, the A plot is implied. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. Wow. Well, I think that the A plot of the entire episode is more the theme, right? Which is xenophobic. Right. Because they exactly. all get atta- everybody gets attacked at some point by the horrible xenophobic people. So, yeah, right. It's just not it's not a unified single A plot like we're used to of like you know Jakar trying to keep from being assassinated or something. It's like it's a thematic A plot, and I I give him credit for doing a invisible thematic A plot. But please, Lord, don't ever do it again. <laughs> That's once was, en- <laughs> once was enough. Um, yeah, I've, I've got my high point as. Um, I think when when Malcolm at the end tells Susan, I don't know you anymore, and she says, I never knew you. I, and I thought that that, that could have come across very cheesy, like JMS at the typewriter going, oh, I'll have her say, I never knew you, because that's a very you know clever thing to say back, and it could have come across cheesy. Claudia Christian nails that delivery. She makes you believe that she is Susan Ivanova telling her ex lover i never knew you and you disgust me just understated flat there's revulsion in there cold and you can also in it you can feel for susan because she's been through so much and you know we've already seen like her father we've heard about her mother and her brother and now her boyfriend is a jerk and it's like you can just see susan like saying i'm getting too old for all this crap you know i'm done with all this so I thought that and was that's a really a, good moment. Yeah, that's a credit to the actress. I mean, yeah. she Claudia Christensen throughout the entire series does that. Yes. She she is very understated and subtle but very powerful. And I want you just for a second to imagine that they never kicked off Tamlin Tamita and she still was playing that role, that part. Yeah. Oh gosh. Oh lord, no. That would not have Again, I always say I love Tamlin Tamita in stuff that she's good at. She was not going to work on this show, and just imagining her in that scene right there, I just I I want to run screaming. So, <laughs> right. God bless you, Claudia Christian. We are so lucky to have you as Ivanova. So, what was your low point? My low point for me was kind of what we've gone over already. It was just filler. It it yeah. it. It didn't carry any weight, really. So th- that was kind of the low point for me, was kind of from minute one to minute 47. <laughs> <laughs> I um, I had the low, low, low point as all the scenes where Tristan Rogers, Malcolm, is trying to put the romance on Ivanova because they so clearly just were a weird couple to begin with. He just didn't. Yeah. They had no chemistry as, you know, you. I None. never believed they used to date. Right, I never right. believe it. Uh, it. Contrast that to the the scenes with uh, Sinclair and, and Catherine, oh, you know, yeah. two episodes before. I mean, yeah, there it was not convincing at all. Right, right. Okay, yeah, Sinclair and Catherine. I'm like, oh yeah, they date, no doubt. Right. But, but Malcolm and Ivanova, I'm like, no, they've never been in the same room together before this episode. <laughs> and it's not for it's not for Claudia Christians trying. It's just that he. He's just not a very, you know, it just, I never bought that she would find him attractive because we know Ivanova already at this point, we have a pretty good sense about her in the show. And you're like, right. she would never fall for this guy. Give me a break. <laughs> um, most Babylon 5 scene. For me, the most Babylon 5 scene was probably uh, just any scene with the home guard 
because yeah. it was the home guard is important later on down the road. So, I mean, like you set up, it is a political movement back on earth and that weaves its, its way in deep into earth politics. So I think that was the most Babylon five part. And that's a weak Babylon five moment, but that is as, as strong as we get in this episode. Oh, well in an episode that's thematic rather than literal, I think that's perfectly fair. Um, I, for me, the most Babylon five scene was when Sinclair meets with Kosh and realizes that Kosh's hand would not have been sticking out to be shaken and be poisoned because right. that was something that had been bothering me from the get go. How do you poison a being that's in that suit? And, you know, I always imagined if he shook hands, a little robot hand would come out. I didn't think he'd actually put his actual hand out there. And, you know, Sinclair realizes that and, and it kind of starts building toward more stuff. I had a note here later, Sinclair tells right. Ivanova something, but I, I didn't finish the sentence, so I don't even know what my note was getting at. But, uh, but yeah, that, but that, was, that was it for me. In that scene, uh, he was actually addressing a lot of the issues that came from the, the pilot. You know, he, yes. he addressed that. He addressed the recasting of, of the doctor and the, the, uh, the, the Corps officer. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, it's like the, the JMS was going back and saying, okay, what didn't work in the pilot that I need to fix? Yeah. I'll just toss out a couple lines here and fix them. I thought it that did. was interesting the, 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 that, that he actually took those. You know, a lot of times the pilot is the forgotten, you know, the mm-hmm. forgotten episode that nobody ever thinks about. JMS embraced the, the uh, issues from the pilot and, mm. and worked that into the, the dialogue. I thought that was kind of neat. Yeah, that was. That's a good point. So, okay. Uh, my favorite character moment was, uh, was Jakar being Malcolm X or something and inciting the crowd to riot. <laughs> I mean, I, I love a good Jakar rallying the aliens to want to go out and commit violence or something. And that's, it's, it's <laughs> interesting because we're still seeing Jakar. You know, again, it's, no, it's an open secret that the characters all evolve and change over the course of this show. And certainly that includes Jakar. And so it's neat to see him when that's something he would have done, you know, is go up and be like, we should riot. We should all go and kill them all. <laughs> you know, that I just enjoyed Jakar up there and then Sinclair basically threatening him, you know, I'll throw you in the brig if you don't shut up, you know. So I thought that was a really good moment for Jakar. Yeah. My favorite character moment was the scene when they're talking about the coffee plant. Um, when <laughs> Ivanova wants uh, wants Garibaldi to, to go meet somebody at the, some incoming prisoners, mm. and he mentions, "Oh, you know what? By the way, I found this coffee plant in hydroponics, <laughs> which shouldn't be there, and and that turns out to be her coffee plant, which she's growing illegally. Which, interestingly enough, was the original uh, first officer's coffee plant in the pilot. She mentioned that." Um, so I don't know if that just goes along with the office of first officer that she inherited that when she took over as as the uh, second in command or what. But uh, I thought that was kind of cool. I was going to ask you about that because I was like, didn't we already know about it? Didn't wasn't that uh, Takashima's Laurel Takashima's coffee plant? Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I think you're right. I think you're onto something that whoever is the second in command gets custody of the of the of the one <laughs> coffee plant. So there you go. <laughs> 
Um, I have a note here for funniest moment. I said, did this episode have a funny moment? Because I couldn't really remember one, but maybe that was right. it for me. What is your funny? Yeah, moment? that 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 would qualify as the funniest moment too. Because yeah. it really it wasn't it wasn't a funny episode. No, it really wasn't. When you have no a plot and it's not funny, uh, you're uh, you're right. in kind of a bad bad place. Um, let's see, random factoids. I have a few. Um, we do get the home guard this episode, so keep an eye on them. They're, you know, the idea of trouble growing back home is obviously going to be continued forward. Um, we, yeah, I, I had a note here that we see the portraits of Londo's three wives, and we make it clear that he's not <laughs> happy with any of them. So that's that's interesting yeah. to note. Um, Malcolm talks about there's basically a night of the long knives coming up, right? He's like, there's going to be a big uprising, and all over the solar system and all over the galaxy, the humans are going to rise up and attack the aliens and stuff. And I'm like, well, that's interesting to file away for later, I guess. I'm, I'm not sure exactly what he's referring to, but, uh, but it kind of, that kind of caught me a uh, flat footed there on wrong footed that, 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 um, that they think that there's a, uh, a sort of a night of the long knives, you know, referring to the Nazis, you know, rising up and attacking all the right. people in one night. So, yeah. um, I thought it was interesting that they had black light camouflage from EarthGov. Again, here are the bad poop people with an interesting connection to the Earth government. You know, the, these shady characters keep having, like, legal sanction to do what they're doing, and that's pretty disturbing if you're a human. Right. Um, let's see. And then lastly, um, yeah, I had a note. Malcolm lives. He doesn't get killed. So, you know, the same thing will probably happen to him that probably happened to the IPX guy on infection, which is probably going to go free because clearly the earth gov has no problem with xenophobic murderers. They think they're great and, and weapon procurers, you know, and all that. They're all into that dark stuff. Right. Um, any notes from you? No, the only one that I really thought of was the the whole uh, Mark Twain angle. Uh, mm, Mark yeah. Twain, when uh, when he wrote the piece, the uh, uh, War Prayer, it was very anti-war. Um, so he he didn't publish it while he was alive. It didn't come out till later. I thought that was interesting, mm. and it really tied. I mean, if if you're familiar with the piece, you you know that it ties very well with the the theme of the episode. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, that's cool. I'm glad that you mentioned that. Um, let's see. Notable guest stars were just uh, Tristan Rogers. The lady that played Shao Mayan and the two Centauri teenagers, none of whom I felt particularly compelled to look up their names. Um, <laughs> I think they're minor, you know, so, uh, and the, the two Centauri's minor in more ways than one. Um, okay, my episode rating this time, I will say I thought it was marginally better than I remembered, but then I've turned around and forgotten it again as soon as I finished typing up <laughs> these notes. So I, maybe I was wrong. Um, but yeah, I, I had a just basically the same thing we've been talking about. It seems like a bunch of B plots and C plots. Um, and so I gave it a two. And the two is just because they bust up and arrest Malcolm and his ring of fascists at the end of the episode. So I give it two just for busting up fascist conspiracies. What about you? Right. I actually gave this a 2.5. Um, it wasn't spectacular, but it, it wasn't the worst episode either. I thought it was it went pretty much right down the middle. And I, I did that mostly on the, uh, the, the political, because of the, the way that it resonates today politically with me. I thought that was, that was kind of, and the whole bit with Londo Malari and his, uh, three wonderful <laughs> wives. I, that, that alone was worth half a star. So there you go. 
Good deal, good deal. All right, that's two down, one to go. Before we dig into like the real, well, I mean, there were two really big episodes for us tonight and then one kind of in the middle. So we're going to hit the other really big one in just a second. Before we do, I have to thank the patrons that keep our show going because honestly, we couldn't be doing this without you guys. And I always promise everybody that joins up, Get some mention before the show is over. If you want to be part of the fun, just go to www.b5review.com. That's www.b5review.com. And click on the Become a Patron button. Or just go to patreon.com and search White Rocket or Plexico. And become a patron. Join these other fine folks. And you can help keep our programs on the air. We do other things, too. We publish a lot of books here at White Rocket. And as, as, a, as a patron, you get discounts on at certain levels, as different levels of, of patronage, for our, for our stuff that we put out. So we'll be, I, I, I occasionally post things on the Patreon page talking about that. So let's thank the folks who are currently keeping our programs going. They are Chris and Clinton Stewart, Carl Von Drunker, Christopher Burleson, and Samuel Salvatore. Thank you guys so much. Then we have Bart Lindsay, Bradley Blackman, Chris Usher, Gary Grant, Phil Amthor, Richard Stevens, Steve Trawick, Susan Trawick, Trombone Tiger, Willie Carden, Ann Kangian, A You Falling Up, Ben Bloodworth, Clay Henson, Dan Thompson, Daniel Odom, David Evers, David Hegler, Emmanuel Seaman, Eric Morgan, George Gaston, Jacob and Robin Fleming. They're an awesome couple I see at DragonCon every year. John Otsuki, Catherine England, Kevin Smith, Mickey B, Phil Davis, Preston Settle, the Weather, the Weather Channel's Reynolds Wolf, Rich Reimer, Steve Harlan, Timothy, WDE Richie. We gotta get better at celebrating. Wes Atkinson, William Morgan, Wilson Beard, Winston Body, Alex Wynn, Blake Heron, Boris the Tiger, Chris the Hilton, Colby Butler, Danny Flack, and Darius Benton. Just a few more to go, and we appreciate all you folks. David Simpson, Di Bama, Earl Ricks, Eric Mahan, Hugh Anderson, Josh Teal, Kevin Canoy, Kevin Mahan, Christian Thorvaldson, Lane Middleton, Melissa Blackstone, Mike Finley, Algorithm, Papa Todd, Patrick Williams, Randall Walker, Rob Morgan, Ross, Russell Milling, Sarah Hines, Sasquatch, I hope you're all enjoying the fine Babylon 5 theme music in the background, Shane Bailey, Shannon Butson, Snowdog, Stephen Houston, Tim Pittman, Tony Perry, 76 Tigers still lives, Auburn Elvis, Ben Amos, Ben Riggis, Brandon Smith, Chris Como, Darren Pyle, David Smiley, I promise we're getting close to the end, Donnie Reynolds, James Taylor, Jason the Weasel Skull Albrecht, John Stubbs, John Zabachin, Joey Miller, Joseph Iliff, Justin Bean, Kathy Bright. Hey, Kathy, see you at DragonCon too. Kenneth Brent Range, Mark Squire, Matthew Flowers, Mick Vishikana, Paul Bankson, Public Landowner, Robert Drain. Some of our folks have got some really interesting names. Russell Souther, Ruth and Darren Sutherland. Hey, guys. Spanky, Stephen Thompson, Trevor Johnson, Brent Rumble, Chris. Plus, plus, never forget our one-time and anonymous donors. We thank you all. Just go to www.b5review.com. That's www.b5review.com. And click on the Become a Patron button. And join up for as little as a dollar a month to be part of the fun. All right, Andy, are you ready to get into 108 and the sky full of stars? I am, but I just have to say, as somebody who played football for 30 years and had to constantly balance my jock side with my 
<laughs> sci-fi loving geek side it does my heart good to hear all the football references in those names <laughs> we do the uh, the au wishbone is like the flagship show of our whole network and it pays a lot of the bills man we really appreciate our football fans that keep the lights on here in the white rocket studio i, I appreciate you mentioning that and you and i gotta have a talk sometime about your football pass because i have heard snippets but i'm sure our listeners right now aren't interested but you and i'll have a conversation privately sometime and we'll see because i'm curious about it but right now we got to talk about the sky full of stars what how would you like to give us a kind of a quick synopsis of this episode the sky full of stars is uh the the a plot is um sinclair is being stalked by two night one and night two two uh, i guess secret agents would be the best way to do to, to describe them and they abduct him because they are trying to get information from him regarding the the hole in his mind the 24 hours he lost during the battle of the line um the what was the b plot in this one was there really a b plot in this honestly one? i have my notes are like this is just an a plot it's like we found right, that yeah. we, we found the a plot from the war prayer it's in this episode right. <laughs> it fell out and landed here yeah right. i don't remember there really being much of a b plot i guess we might encounter yeah. something as we go but that's yeah. about it um and i you know i want to say because i liked your your synopsis and i want to say i think that um what is interesting to me is that it's not just that the, that night one and night two want to find out what happened to Sinclair during, during the missing 24 hours. It's that they already think they know and they're trying to prove it. And their right. theory that they're trying to prove is like the worst possible scenario for Sinclair that it could be, right? I mean... Anything else it could have been where he's innocent, they're like, no, nah, no, nah, he's a traitor, right? He spent that 24 hours in like a North Korean mental uh, brainwashing facility becoming the Manchurian candidate is what they think. And it's right. like... It's, it's very paranoid. Yeah, it's like they, they jump to the like the most absolute worst conclusion and then they're just convinced that that's the thing and they spend the whole episode trying to prove that they're right with their jumping to the worst conclusion. So that I thought that was very interesting because they were they acted like they're there to learn the truth. They weren't. They were there to prove their theory one way or the other and take right. him down. And so that was interesting. And that speaks to the darker elements in the, the Earth government, too. Yes. That, because they're obviously government operatives of some sort, whether they're, you know, of the official government or of some sort of shadow government, I don't know. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it, it definitely shows that there are, there's some really deep, dark people, you know, who, are, who have power. Yeah, and I think it's very interesting also that for all the alien governments and alien characters that we see on this show, almost every villainous character that has shown up so far, almost, not all, but almost every villainous character that's shown up so far has been a human and has had some kind of official sanction to be there. Yep. It's not like murderers and thieves it's not you know terrorists that are on the you know outside the law and it's not like renegade narns or something it's been people connected to earth and to earth government that's That's, a good point that's disturbing man yeah (laughs) that is disturbing you know it's like if you were watching you know Hill Street Blues or one of the cop shows and the bad guy every episode turns out to be like from internal affairs or something yeah 
after a while, you're like, man, I think I know who the bad guys are in this world. <laughs> <laughs> it says a lot to uh, uh, JMS's opinion of the human condition. That's a very good point. You're right about that. All right. My high point of this episode was when uh, Delenn walks up to Sinclair near the end, and I think when he's still kind of psychotic or whatever, and he keeps I, – I, I thought it was very effective – how they kept flashing from him back in the time to now and him using the same words, right? I remember yep. you, you know, and all that. I remember your face, whatever. I remember you. And and that was very effective because first it makes you kind of wonder, is he remembering her? And then you're kind of like, yeah, <laughs> he's remembering you know. <laughs> And then they kind of hit you over the head with it at the very end. So I don't mean to jump all the way to the yeah. end, but I just thought that was that was very well done that that JMS paced that reveal out to where you're like, is he remembering? Is he remembering? I think he's remembering. Oh, he's remembering. You know, they they spaced that out and paced it out, I thought, very effectively to where in the very, like, in the stinger of the episode, he's like, I remember everything, you know. So that I thought that was the high point for me. What about you? The high point for me is the fact that this show addresses the core mystery that they set up in the early episodes, um, yeah. and, and just the it addresses the the battle of the line, which was hinted at. It addresses the great council, which was hinted at. I just thought that this this one this one episode is what really hooked me deep into this, and, and I was fully invested after watching this episode. I, I still remember watching this episode when it first aired, and, and I enjoyed the first several episodes, and I was already mm. you know invested into watching the series, but this one, it was like the, the red, blue, red pill, blue pill scene from <laughs> The Matrix. I was like, whoa, yes. okay. That's fair enough, so that, yeah. Yeah. I think that when, when Parliament of Dreams came out, I'm like, oh, man, i got to tell my friends about this show. When this episode came out, I'm like, I have got to tell everybody about this show. And I dragged <laughs> right. all my friends over. A couple of weeks later, I dragged all my friends over and sat them all down. And the episode that came on was Believers. And they're like, you're an idiot. We're never watching this show again. And they all left. <laughs> and I was prejudiced against that episode for so long because... <laughs> It it took all the goodwill. Now we're going to talk about it probably like either next week or the week after. I forget. It's coming up. I like it a lot better now. I don't want to go off that tree. I'm just saying, at the time, it's like you 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 know you build up to where you're wanting to tell everybody to watch this show, and when you finally succeed in getting them all to watch it, it delivers a thinking show about the doctor. You know, and you're like. Oh, come on, man. <laughs> Couldn't you have given us another space battle or Jakar fighting something? Or Oh, man. But anyway. Um, all right. The low point of this episode for me, I honestly, it's hard to find a really low point. But I think that I, I, what I do when I can't think of a specific scene that I just thought was bad, I think, well, which scene kind of left me going, huh? You know, or confused or whatever. The space battle in this episode... Mm -hmm. Um, it, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense. I feel like in the first season, they do a lot of space battle talk that doesn't match up to, and second season too, doesn't match up to exactly what we're seeing yet. Cause the special effects aren't quite there yet. They get better. And so I never fully understood what I was supposed to be seeing in the battle of the line here. Uh, cause it was so limited, right? We don't see very much. 
But hey, we get to see it like three times. <laughs> so I got to be confused. I like, okay, the second, oh, they're going to show it again. I, no, I still don't get it. Oh, they're going to show it a third time. Nope, still don't get it. So that was my low point. You know, I will say in, in the defense of, of the writers, this was from Sinclair's memories. So yeah, it was confusing to us, the viewer, because yeah. it was really confusing to him. He only had a small snippet of what was going on around him. So it was, it was disjointed, but yeah. I think that was intentional. Um, okay. However, that said, the low point for me was also the space battle. Um, mostly because whenever the uh, the Star Furies would explode, they would come apart like like Legos. You know, they were like yeah. three or four blocky <laughs> pieces that would just kind of drift apart. I mean, it wasn't like, you know, it, back in 1977, Star Wars was blowing up spaceships realistically. But these mm -hmm. guys, I, <laughs> no. I know it was the limitations of CGI, but uh, it, it was a little underwhelming that whenever they got shot, they just kind of, you know, drifted apart like puzzle pieces i think that's fair i think i think that we can say that explosions are the are the weakest part of certainly the first season cgi yeah it's just not and easy the to do that right and the cgi artists are the first people to admit that they're like doing explosions with an amiga computer sucks <laughs> so. oh lord yeah I can imagine. Oh gosh, yeah. yeah. It's hard enough to just do a ship flying. My gosh, much less blow. <laughs> right. Um, did you tell us your? Yeah, you said okay. My most Babylon Five scene. I think it's when we see the Gray Council and when when we see Sinclair remembering that you know being in there and seeing the the guy with the staff and the others with the hoods. I that is such a Babylon Five thing is seeing a bunch of aliens in hoods standing around a circle and it's you know being mysterious and enigmatic. I, I just thought that was great. I absolutely agree. That's also my my favorite um, my the the most Babylon Five scene because it does speak to that core mystery and, yeah. and with that reveal reveal when he rips back the hood of Delenn mm. was was like a o, OMG moment. It was like whoa. So yeah, that I and, and of course that has implications. All the way throughout the series. So, yeah, that was definitely oh, yeah. a very, very strong B5 moment. No doubt about it. What was your favorite character moment in this episode? My favorite character moment was Sinclair's monologue when he was talking about it, the comrades that he lost at the Battle of the Line. When uh, when Night one or night 2 is, is interrogating him and he comes back, he's like, you don't know. You know, you don't know what it was like. And he goes on about how much, you know, they meant to him and how it felt to lose his friends. I thought that was supremely acted. I thought uh, um, the actor, Sinclair's actor, just knocked that one out of the park. I thought that was really well done. And it, it really made me feel for Sinclair. And it made me feel like he actually, you know, felt the loss of his friends and comrades. Yeah, you're right. I think that for all that Michael O'Hare can annoy me being like a game show host at times, there, <laughs> there are moments that I think he really does nail it. And it's, it's the serious moments, right? When he's just being yeah. a Mr. Glad handing captain, you know, commander, he's a little, ugh, he's a little, little too smarmy for me. But, but right. when, but when he's really suffering, he's thinking about the past, he's worried about stuff. He's talking to Catherine about serious stuff. The more serious he gets, I think the better he is in that role. Yeah, you give him some meat to chew on, and he, he does a spectacular job. Yeah, I think he's very underrated 
in that kind of scene. I, I I'm not going to give him that same credit in 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 a lot of scenes. Like, you know, when he and Garibaldi are ta- are, are joking, I feel like he's acting. Even though right. they have pretty good chemistry, I still feel like he's acting. But when he's being really serious about a deadly serious plot, you know, situation, I I feel like he really does his best work, and I give him complete credit for that. My favorite character moment is from the same, maybe that same scene. I'm not sure, but it's the same two characters. It's when Knight Two says, "Why did the Minbari surrender?" And he says, "I don't know. Maybe the universe blinked. Maybe God changed his mind. All I know is that we got a second chance." I think that's a really good, and that's a good Babylon Five moment too. Yeah, that's a, that's a definitely a JMS line. I love yes. that line. That is a definitely a JMS. That's exactly what I was thinking. Yes. All right. What was your funniest moment? And uh, if you had one. <laughs> <laughs> this was kind of a heavy episode. I, I, I don't really remember there being a whole lot of lighthearted moments in it. Mm-mm, there weren't. I had to really reach for one. And mine is there was a moment where Sinclair has been brought into the chamber of the Grey Council. And he's standing there and they're huddled up like a football. <laughs> they're calling a football play. <laughs> they're, like they're, they're, seriously, they're over in the corner huddled up. And I'm like, are they calling a uh, calling an audible here? What's going on, right? And they break the huddle and come back. And I'm just sitting there going, what was that? <laughs> so that was just kind of unintentionally funny. I, I'm sure that wasn't supposed to be what it looked like, but it kind of was. Right. Um, let's see. Do you have any random factoids or notes this week from me for, I mean, for this I, episode? I thought, uh, well, first of all, Night One was played by Judson Scott. I'm sure you you yeah. probably knew that. Yeah. He was uh, famous, more famously known for uh, the second in command of the uh, um, the Reliant Star Trek Two, the, the Reliant in Star Trek Two, right? But I, I thought it was interesting that not only was Walter Koenig supposed to play Night Two, hmm. but Patrick McGowan was also offered the role, role of Night Two, which would have been kind oh. of cool. Yeah. Considering Patrick McGowan's background, I thought that would be cool. But and he wanted to do it, but he just couldn't uh, fit into a shooting schedule. Um, the I only other totally tidbit see. I had, and I remember JMS talking about this way back when on the uh, the AOL boards, the Battle of the Line. The Earth ships numbered twenty thousand, and mm. they ended up with two hundred survivors. Wow! So that's how big that battle was, and that's how devastating that battle was Good that was God. everything earth force had wiped out it has taken them 10 years to, to come back from that and that's why yeah wow wow that is amazing and it probably took out an entire generation of right. pilots in the same way that like world war one took out an entire generation of you know european yeah that's that's what why you'll see throughout the series people mentioning oh yeah i lost so-and-so in the war you know like mm-hmm. like ivanova's brother lost him in the war so yeah it was it was a big deal yeah, absolutely. I've got quite a few little factoids because this was such a big episode. Let me run through a few because some of them I really want to bounce off of you. We have a newspaper sighting. Uh-huh. <laughs> I was wondering if you were going to mention the newspaper sighting. And I have the headlines. Here are the headlines we see on that newspaper because I paused it. Narns settle Ragesh 3 controversy. So, hey, that, that the very first episode's uh, plot has apparently been settled. Very did, cool. Did Psycor violate its charter by endorsing vice president? Oh, you mean we should be paying attention to the vice president on this show of Earth Alliance? Interesting. He's connected to Psycor? Well, we know Psycor <laughs> is kind of shady and dark. Huh. Uh, special section, pros and cons of interspecies mating. Lord, I hope that doesn't come back to uh, 
that doesn't come back. That was like in the pilot, I think, and then it kind of was forgotten, hopefully. Well, Jakar is not, Jakar doesn't forget it. Uh, San Diego is still too radioactive for occupancy. You know, in the JMS uh, autobiography, Becoming Superman, we kind of learn why it's San Diego that gets nuked uh, yeah. bef- before 2258. It's because he used to live there and he got mugged. Yeah. I think you mentioned that in our last episode, right? That that, that was probably yeah. why San Diego was the was the site. And this isn't the last time we'll we'll hear mention of San Diego or the no. the, uh, the wastelands of San Diego. You know what it makes me wonder? Where do they What's hold com- Where do they hold Comic Con in twenty two fifty eight? That is an important question. Ah, yeah. Where do they hold it? Um, Another headline, Home Guard leader convicted, found guilty in attack on Mimbari Embassy. So they did do a Night of the Long Knives, and here we're seeing just a very little snippet about it, I guess. They attacked the Mimbari Embassy. Uh, President promises balanced budget by 2260. That could be a headline today. President promises balanced (laughs) budget by 2260. (laughs) I wonder if this show will cover 2260. Interesting. And then... Copyright trial continues in book zap flap, which is actually something that JMS was involved in. I guess it just it took 300 years to <laughs> to be litigated. So there you go. Hey, um, you missed one. Uh-oh, what was that? There, there was a, a, a little, a tiny headline that says, is something living in hyperspace? Oh, yeah. I remember hearing that. I didn't see it. I must have missed it on the screen yeah. when I paused it. I, I, yeah. I paused it, too, because I definitely wanted to bring up the newspaper. <laughs> I wanted to see what he was reading. And I saw that mentioned. I'm like, oh, yeah. They're, it's, it's amazing that they're planting all this stuff in mm. you know, a throwaway gag mm. like a newspaper. Wow. Yeah. Because some of that's funny, and some of it is super serious. And you can just try to... Figure out for yourself, folks, which ones you should be thinking of as important and which ones are not. Uh, let's see, a couple of things otherwise. Franklin destroyed his notes on alien biology rather than turn them over to the military to use during the war. He I asked, thought that was cool. Yeah. He asked Delenn. I know you're a Franklin fan. That's right. He asked Delenn what she did during the war, and she said that's a topic for another time, maybe another episode. Yeah. Uh, uh, let's see. The HBO edition has been remastered to the point that you can read the text on the newspaper. That was pretty cool. But it, did you see what the text actually says? I did. I I wasn't about to strain my eyes that much. <laughs> I did. I did it for you, folks. If you if you look really close at the text under those headlines we just read, it says to produce formulas with the formula glossary, you insert combinations of typesetting commands stored in the glossary into your document, and then replace <laughs> the placeholder text with the values you want. And it continues like that. That's funny. Yeah, I don't think that JMS thought people were going to be actually seeing the text. No, so, he wasn't expecting a remastering years down the road. Oh, wow. So that's what it actually says on that newspaper. Uh, I thought this was funny. Ivanova mentions their base in the Tigris sector. A few episodes back, they were talking about the Euphrates sector. So apparently mm-hmm. somebody's taking Babylon very literally. <laughs> we're in Iraq. This right. station is somewhere in Iraq grid rather than Epsilon grid. We find out that Sinclair is 39 years old and his middle name is David. Thought that was interesting. Uh, his buddy that died alongside him at the that fought alongside him and died at the Battle of the Line was Bill Mitchell. Kept calling him Mitchell. Billy Mitchell is considered the father of the U.S. Air Force. Yep. Uh, we see Garibaldi's security underling, who always seems surprised when Garibaldi figures stuff out. <laughs> huh? Did you see anything suspicious over there, Jack? Uh, Jack? 
No, nothing suspicious. What about the guy with the gun and the knife? Oh, I didn't <laughs> see that, Chief. He never <laughs> seems to see anything until Garibaldi sees it. Isn't that funny, Andy? Huh. And he keeps his job. Yeah, isn't that funny? We should keep an eye on this guy. He just pops up right. occasionally, but we'll keep an eye on him. Uh, the Minbari do not like it when Sinclair asks them, what do you want? Yeah. They got kind of... They got kind of antsy when he used that particular phrase, huh? Yeah. What's that all about, Andy? <laughs> I don't that, know. That's a, yeah, that's that's a very uh, a very straightforward question, I would think. Let's file that away. I think um, we're just going to start making like the file away file. File that away, and we'll just occasionally <laughs> right. say that way. There's no spoilers. We're just saying keep that in mind for later. Um, a lot of the incidental music from this episode is on that CD along with the Mind War music. That was cool. Um, another guy gets cap- another captured bad guy gets shipped back to Earth. He'll probably be free too pretty soon, other than the fact that his brain got fried. Right. I, I did like that he says, how do we know we're not still in the simulation, you know? Yeah. I thought which that was kind mean, of interesting. Which, which would mean the entire rest of the series could be a show about a show about a show about a show. <laughs> That's too deep for me, man. Yeah, too deep, man. (laughs) Wheels within wheels, man. Uh, Let's see. Actually, like I said, I have quite a long list here. I got a couple more. Uh, No, just one more. Uh, At the end, Sinclair lies to Delenn and says he doesn't remember anything. And it's a good thing he does because then the Grey Council guy walks in and says, if he had remembered anything, we'd have to just kill him. And and Delenn is like, yep, sure, we would have. That that seemed kind of harsh. I don't remember the the Minbari being quite that nasty, but yeah, mm. that kind of threw me for a loop when he said that. And I was like, "Whoa!" And she's like, "Yeah, we would have done it. Yeah, we killed him." So I'm glad that Sinclair's like, "No, I don't remember anything." You know, yeah. I, I remember that you were there and the Scarecrow was there, <laughs> but I don't remember. No, he man, and then he comes and says, "I remember everything." You know, that was a really good moment. I thought, yeah. Um, any, did you have any, we already, t- I already asked you if you have any notes beyond that. I know I stole your newspaper thing. Sorry about that. Right. No, that's totally, I, I stole your, uh, your guest star thing. So I think we're <laughs> even there. Yeah. Christopher Neem was night two. I did find his name and you had Justin Scott. Absolutely right. What is your episode rating for this one? I gave this one a four. I gave this one a four. We're back on, we're back on track again. Yeah. So why did you give it a four? Uh, I just thought, again, it addressed the, the core mystery that uh, they introduced earlier on. I thought that was really cool. Um, I'm kind of a, a Starfighter geek, so seeing the Star Furies in action, even if it was a little bit on the weaker side, I thought that was really cool. Um, but the Great Council, that was neat to see You know, the, a little bit of an alien culture. Um, I just thought that it, it moved the, the meta plot forward uh, uh, in uh, leaps and bounds. I thought that was really neat. Yeah, absolutely. I think that before this episode, we would have had no way of knowing when we were going to be getting any answers. And, right. And we probably tend to think later rather than sooner, based on television before Babylon 5. And, right. And, and in fact, you know, like most sci-fi shows before Babylon 5, you never got the answer because the show got canceled before they ever did that. Whereas right. or- when this... The, the biggest, you know, the biggest one was in Star Trek The Next Generation with, you know, the, the, the two-part episodes that they would do every once in a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whereas this one, you're like, oh, <laughs> we're getting answers already. We're like, we're like, what, eight episodes in now? Yeah. And we're already getting answers. It's all starting to come clear. I, yeah, my antenna went way up. Yeah. When, and when, the, when, the answers that they, the answers that they give, open up more questions. Oh 
Yes, yes. But but in a good way. In, right. in a good way. Well, Not in a lost sort of way. No, no, right. Yeah, no, more <laughs> in, a, in a like, oh, that makes sense, and now I wonder why this. Right. Yeah, yeah, that's good. I'm at the end of my material. I The only thing I have left to say to you, sir, is when this podcast is over, Andy, maybe we'll still be inside the podcast. Maybe we'll <laughs> both still be inside the podcast. <laughs> well played, sir. <laughs> Do you have any final thoughts? I don't. I'm just having a ball with this. So I think I think we covered everything. Fantastic. I'm going to peek. I thought I had them written down, but I don't. So I'm going to peek ahead, and I'm going to tell you that our next episode will cover Death Walker. That's, that's a Larry Dottilio episode, but honestly, it may be my favorite Larry Dottilio episode, and we're, in which we learn about the Dilgar, whoever they are, and uh-huh. then we have David Gerald's episode, the famous David Gerald of Star Trek fame, who wrote Believers. So we're going to look at Believers. And I think that is going to be a very interesting conversation between you and me about that one. All right. And, and then we have Survivors, which is kind of another like the war prayer in the way that I can never really remember what happens in it. But I know it involves Garibaldi. So and it's a, and it's written by Mark Scott Zekri. So we don't have another JMS episode until the following week. But yeah. Death Walker, Believers, Survivors. The, I think there were. I think we're going to have some very interesting conversations about those three episodes. And I'm looking forward to it. So I am too. Right. Absolutely. All right. I think that we're going to let the 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 Babylon Five review podcast get on out of here for another episode we really appreciate you guys listening and if you have any thoughts suggestions or questions for our show or like if you want to think of a name for the show by all means <laughs> by all means uh you can, how can tell tell the folks how you can how they can reach you andy uh, you can reach me at uh, andyfixwriter at gmail.com i'm always happy to, to talk to people about my writing and you're on twitter right at at I am on Twitter very occasionally, so I I, I don't normally encourage people to go there because it may be weeks before I I see this. (laughs) Understood. I live on Twitter all the time. I'm at Van Allen Plexico on Twitter and on Facebook, uh, and so perfectly happy to entertain your thoughts there. Okie doke. We're going to get on out of here for another episode. Yes. We should mention that we do interact on the the Babylon Five page on Facebook quite a bit. So that is true. They, too. If they sh- give us a shout out there, we'll see that. That is absolutely true. Maybe we should even set up a group page for our show. That might be an interesting thing to do in the future, though. That's hmm. not a bad idea. All right, we're gonna get out of here for this episode. We'll see you guys in two weeks. Take care. This has been a White Rocket Entertainment production.